Book Two, Part Two of A Confederate Girl's Diary. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Confederate Girl's Diary by Sarah Morgan Dawson. Book Two, Part Two, June twenty seventh to July third, eighteen sixty two. June twenty seventh. A proclamation of Van Dorn has just been smuggled into town that advises all persons living within eight miles of the Mississippi to remove into the interior, as he is determined to defend his department at all hazards to the last extremity. Does not look like the peace I have been deluding myself with, does it? That means another exodus. How are we to leave when we are not allowed to pass the limits of the corporation by the Federals? Where are we to go? We are between the two armies, and here we must remain, patiently awaiting the result. Some of these dark nights, bang, we will hear the cannon, and then it will be sauve qui peut in a shower of shells. Bah! I don't believe God will suffer that we should be murdered in such a dreadful way. I don't believe he will suffer us to be turned homeless and naked on the world. Something will turn up before we are attacked, and we will be spared, I am certain. We can't look forward for more than an hour at a time now, sometimes not a minute ahead, witness the shelling frolic, so I must resume my old habit of laying a clean dress on my bed before going to sleep, which I did every night for six weeks before the shelling of Baton Rouge, in order to run respectably, as muslin crossbar nightgowns are not suitable for day dresses. June 28th. I am afraid I shall be nervous when the moment of the bombardment actually arrives. This suspense is not calculated to soothe one's nerves. A few moments since a salute was fired in honor of General Butler's arrival, when women, children, and servants rushed to the front of the houses, confident of a repetition of the shelling which occurred a month ago to-day. The children have not forgotten the scene, for they all actually howled with fear. Poor little Sarah stopped her screams to say, "'Mother, don't you wish we was dogs, dead of white folks?' in such piteous accents that we had to laugh. "'Don't I wish I was a dog? Sarah is right. I don't know if I showed my uneasiness a while ago, but certainly my heart has hardly yet ceased beating rather rapidly.' If I knew what moment to expect the stampede, I would not mind, but this way, to expect it every instant, it is too much. Again, if I knew where we could go for refuge from the shells. A window banging unexpectedly just then gave me a curious twinge, not that I thought it was the signal, oh dear no, I just thought, what, I wonder? Pshaw! Picayune Butler's coming, coming has upset my nervous system. He interrupted me in the middle of my arithmetic, and I have not the energy to resume my studies. I shall try what effect an hour's practice will have on my spirits, and will see that I have a pair of clean stockings in my stampede sack, and that the fastenings of my running bag are safe though if I expect to take either, I should keep in harness constantly. How long, O oh Lord, how long? 
June twenty-ninth, Sunday. Any more, Mr. Lincoln, any more? Can't you leave our racked homes in repose? We are all wild. Last night five citizens were arrested on no charge at all, and carried down to Picayune Butler's ship. What a thrill of terror ran through the whole community! We all felt so helpless, so powerless under the hand of our tyrant, the man who swore to uphold the Constitution and the laws, who was professedly only fighting to give us all liberty, the birthright of every American, and who nevertheless has ground us down to a state where we would not reduce our Negroes, who tortures and sneers at us, and rules us with an iron hand. Ah, liberty, what a humbug! I would rather belong to England or France than to the North. Bondage, woman that I am, I can never stand. Even now the Northern papers, distributed among us, taunt us with our subjection, and tell us how coolly Butler will grind them down, paying no regard to their writhing and torture beyond tightening the bonds still more. Ah, truly, this is the bitterness of slavery, to be insulted and reviled by cowards who are safe at home and enjoy the protection of the laws, while we, captive and overpowered, dare not raise our voices to throw back the insult, and are governed by the despotism of one man, whose word is our law. And that man, they tell us, is the right man in the right place. He will develop a union sentiment among the people if the thing can be done. Come and see if he can. Hear the curse that arises from thousands of hearts at that man's name, and say if he will speedily bring us to our senses. Will he accomplish it by love, tenderness, mercy, compassion? He might have done it, but did he try? When he came, he assumed his natural role as tyrant, and bravely has he acted it through, never once turning aside for justice or mercy. This degradation is worse than the bitterness of death. I see no salvation on either side. No glory awaits the Southern Confederacy, even if it does achieve its independence. It will be a mere speck in the world, with no weight or authority." The North confesses itself lost without us, and has paid an unheard-of ransom to regain us. On the other hand, conquered, what hope is there in this world for us? Broken in health and fortune, reviled, contemned, abused by those who claim already to have subdued us, without a prospect of future support for those few of our brothers who return outcasts without home or honor, would not death or exile be preferable? Oh, let us abandon our loved home to these implacable enemies and find refuge elsewhere. Take from us property, everything, only grant us liberty. Is this rather frantic, considering I abhor politics and women who meddle with them above all? My opinion has not yet changed. I still feel the same contempt for a woman who would talk at the top of her voice for the edification of federal officers, as though anxious to receive an invitation requesting her presence at the garrison. I can suffer and be still as far as outward signs are concerned, but as no word of this has passed my lips I give it vent in writing, which is more lasting than words, 
partly to relieve my heart, partly to prove to my own satisfaction that I am no coward. For one line of this, surrounded as we are by soldiers, and liable to have our houses searched at any instant, would be a sufficient indictment for high treason. Under General Williams's rule I was perfectly satisfied that whatever was done was done through necessity, and under orders from headquarters, beyond his control. We all liked him. But now, since Butler's arrival, I believe I am as frantic in secret as the others are openly. I know that war sanctions many hard things, and that both sides practice them. But now we are so completely lost in Louisiana, is it fair to jibe and taunt us with our humiliation? I could stand anything save the cowardly ridicule and triumph of their papers. Honestly, I believe if all vile abusive papers on both sides were suppressed, and some of the fire-eating editors who make a living by lying were soundly cowhided or had their ears clipped, it would do more towards establishing peace than all the bloodshedding either side can afford. I hope to live to see it, too. Seems to me more liberty is allowed to the press than would be tolerated in speech. Let us speak as freely as any paper, and see if to-morrow we do not sleep at Fort Jackson. This morning the excitement is rare. Fifteen more citizens were arrested and carried off, and all the rest grew wild with expectation. So great a martyrdom is it considered that I am sure those who are not arrested will be woefully disappointed. It is ludicrous to see how each man thinks he is the very one they are in search of. We asked a twopenny lawyer of no more importance in the community than Dophy is if it was possible he was not arrested. But I am expecting to be every instant. So much for his self-assurance. Those arrested have, some, been quietly released. Those are so smiling and mysterious that I suspect them. Some been obliged to take the oath. Some sent to Fort Jackson." Ah, Liberty, what a blessing it is to enjoy thy privileges. If some of these poor men are not taken prisoners, they will die of mortification at the slight. Our valiant governor, the brave Moore, has by order of the real governor, Moise, made himself visible at some far distant point, and issued a proclamation saying, whereas we of Baton Rouge were held forcibly in town, he therefore considered men, women, and children prisoners of war, and as such the Yankees are bound to supply us with all necessaries, and consequently any one sending us aid or comfort or provisions from the country will be severely punished. Only Moore is fool enough for such an order. Held down by the Federals, our paper money so much trash, with hardly any other to buy food and no way of earning it, threatened with starvation and utter ruin, our own friends, by way of making our burden lighter, forbid our receiving the means of prolonging life, and after generously warning us to leave town, which they know is perfectly impossible, prepare to burn it over our heads, and let the women run the same risk as the men. Penned in on one little square mile, here we await our fate like sheep in the slaughter-pen. Our hour may be at hand now, it may be to-night. We have only to wait. 
The booming of the cannon will announce it to us soon enough. Of the six sentenced to Fort Jackson, one is the Methodist minister, Mr. Craven. The only charge is that he was heard to pray for the Confederate States by some officers who passed his house during family prayers. According to that, which of us would escape unhung? I do not believe there is a woman in the land who closes her eyes before praying for God's blessing on the side on which her brothers are engaged. Are we all to cease? Show me the dungeon deep enough to keep me from praying for them. The man represented that he had a large family totally dependent on him who must starve. Let them get up a subscription, was General Butler's humane answer. I will head it myself. It is useless to say the generous offer was declined. June 30th. As a specimen of the humanity of General Butler, let me record a threat of his, uttered with all the force and meaning language can convey, and certainly enough to strike terror in the hearts of frail women, since all these men believe him fully equal to carry it into execution. Some even believe it will be done. In speaking to Mr. Solomon Benjamin of foreign intervention in our favor, he said, let England or France try it, and I'll be blank if I don't arm every negro in the South and make them cut the throat of every man, woman, and child in it. I'll make them lay the whole country waste with fire and sword and leave it desolate. Draw me a finer picture of coward, brute, or bully than that one sentence portrays. O oh, men of the North, you do your noble hearts wrong in sending such ruffians among us as representatives of a great people. Was ever a more brutal thought uttered in a more brutal way? Mother, like many another, is crazy to go away from here, even to New Orleans, but like the rest will be obliged to stand and await her fate. I don't believe Butler would dare execute his threat, for at the first attempt, thousands who are passive now would cut the brutal heart from his inhuman breast tuesday july first i heard such a good joke last night if i had belonged to the female declaiming club i fear me i would have resigned instantly through mere terror thank heaven i don't these officers say the women talk too much which is undeniable they then said they meant to get up a sewing society and place in it every woman who makes herself conspicuous by her loud talking about them. Fancy what a refinement of torture! But only a few would suffer. The majority would be only too happy to enjoy the usual privilege of sewing societies, slander, abuse, and insinuations. How some would revel in it! the mere threat makes me quake. If I could so far forget my dignity and my father's name as to court the notice of gentlemen by contemptible insult, etc., and if I should be ordered to take my seat at the sewing society, I would never hold my head up again. Member of a select sewing circle. Fancy me! I know there is never any gossip in our society, though the one over the way gets up dreadful reports. I have heard all that, but would rather try neither. 
Oh, how I would beg and plead! Fifty years at Fort Jackson, good, kind General Butler, rather than half an hour in your sewing society! Gentle, humane ruler, spare me, and I split my throat in shouting Yankee Doodle and hurrah for Lincoln! Any, everything, so I am not disgraced! Deliver me from your sewing society, and I'll say and do what you please! Butler told some of these gentlemen that he had a detective watching almost every house in town, and he knew everything. True or not, it looks suspicious. We are certainly watched. Every evening two men may be seen in the shadow on the other side of the street, standing there until ever so late, sometimes until after we have gone to bed. It may be that, far from home, they are attracted by the bright light and singing, and watch us for their amusement. A few nights ago so many officers passed and repassed while we were singing on the balcony, that I felt as though our habit of long-standing had suddenly become improper. Saturday night, having secured a paper, we were all crowding around, Lily and I reading every now and then a piece of news from opposite ends of the paper. Charlie, walking on the balcony, found five officers leaning over the fence watching us as we stood under the light through the open window. Hope they won't elect me to the sewing society. Thursday night, July 3rd. Another day of sickening suspense. This evening, about three, came the rumor that there was to be an attack on the town to-night, or early in the morning, and we had best be prepared for anything. I can't say I believe it, but in spite of my distrust I made my preparations. First of all I made a charming improvement in my knapsack, alias pillowcase, by sewing a strong black band down each side of the center from the bottom to the top, when it is carried back and fastened below again, allowing me to pass my arms through, and thus present the appearance of an old peddler. Miriam's I secured also, and tied all our laces in a handkerchief ready to lay it in the last thing. But the interior of my bag! What a medley it is! First, I believe, I have secured four underskirts, three chemises, as many pairs of stockings, two underbodies, the prayer-book father gave me, Tennyson that Harry gave me when I was fourteen, two unmade muslins, a white mull, English grenadine trimmed with lilac, and a purple linen and nightgown. Then I must have Lavinia's daguerreotype, and how could I leave Will's when perhaps he was dead? Besides, Howells and Will Carter's were with him, and one single case did not matter. But there was Tom Barker's I would like to keep, and, oh, let's take Mr. Stone's. And I can't slight Mr. Dunnington, for these two have been too kind to Jimmy for me to forget." and poor Captain Huger is dead, and I will keep his, so they all went together. A box of pens, too, was indispensable, and a case of French note-paper and a bundle of Harry's letters were added. Miriam insisted on the old diary that preceded this, and found place for it, though I am afraid if she knew what trash she was to carry she would retract before going farther. 
It makes me heartsick to see the utter ruin we will be plunged in if forced to run to-night. Not a hundredth part of what I most value can be saved, if I counted my letters and papers not a thousandth. But I cannot believe we will run to-night. The soldiers tell whoever questions them that there will be a fight before morning, but I believe it must be to alarm them. Though what looks suspicious is that the officers said, to whom is not stated, that the ladies must not be uneasy if they heard cannon to-night, as they would probably commence to celebrate the Fourth of July about twelve o'clock. What does it mean? I repeat, I don't believe a word of it, yet I have not yet met the woman or child who is not prepared to fly. Rose knocked at the door just now to show me her preparations. Her only thought seems to be mother's silver, so she has quietly taken possession of our shoe-bag, which is a long sack for odds and ends with cases for shoes outside, and has filled it with all the contents of the silver-box. This hung over her arm, and carrying Louis and Sarah, this young Samson says she will be ready to fly. I don't believe it, yet here I sit, my knapsack serving me for a desk, my seat the chair on which I have carefully spread my clothes in order. At my elbow lies my running or treasure bag, surrounded by my kaba, filled with hairpins, starch, and a band I was embroidering, etc., Near it lie our combs, etc., and the whole is crowned by my dagger. By the way, I must add Miriam's pistol, which she has forgotten, though over there lies her knapsack ready, too, with our bonnets and veils. It is long past eleven, and no sound of the cannon. Bah! I do not expect it. I'll lay me down and sleep in peace, for thou only, Lord, makest me to dwell in safety." Good night. I wake up to-morrow the same as usual, and be disappointed that my trouble was unnecessary. End of Book Two, Part Two